This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Mindsetters, welcome back. What a fun episode. You guys are going to love this. Just finished up interviewing Jay Papazan, author of The One Thing and so many other books. He's partner of Gary Keller on many, many of the books that Gary has written. And uh, this is this is an awesome episode because it's something that is so important. I feel like so many real estate investors overlook this. We often get distracted by trying to go down many different paths or looking at many different shiny objects. But we get deep into this concept of the one thing and at the core of it is understanding your purpose. And so Jay gets into how do we figure out what that purpose is and gives us just a little touch, a little hint on how to do that. And then we dive directly into some tactical things that you can start applying immediately today to start making consistent action a regular thing in your life, and in your business. So I am so grateful to have had Jay on just such an incredible conversation. And if you guys like this, and if you've loved the podcast, I really encourage you, please drop us a five-star review and write a little note, write a little review and let us know what you think. Pass it along to a friend so we can reach more people. And before I jump into this episode, I want to remind you guys, we have this incredible summit. It's going to be phenomenal. It's called the Investor Mindset Summit Online. It's a digital summit so everybody can attend. And we've got some incredible speakers, past podcast guests. We're going to dive deep into some of the tactical strategies that you can start implementing in your business today built upon the foundation of mindset so that you can implement them for the long term and really start taking action, but making it consistent so you can actually get to your outcome. Of course, as you've heard, we've got incredible speakers like Rod Khalif, Adam Adams, Kathy Fetke, Mike Hambright, Don Costa, and so many others that this is gonna be a phenomenal event. Head to Investor Mindset Summit dot com to find out more and go register grab yourself a seat and make sure you're there and join the conversation the community and join your conversation live while we're delivering this fantastic fantastic summit really look forward to seeing you there and without further ado let's jump into this interview all right, guys, welcome back to the investor mindset podcast I am very excited today I have Jay Papazan uh, in the studio. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. Well, that is good to hear. And all of you guys already have to know about Jay. Uh, you've definitely read some of his books. So he's an incredible author who's co-authored books that include The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, and of course, one of my all-time favorite books, The One Thing, and so many others. He's always had a passion for writing. And fortunately for us, he landed a role working with Gary Keller of Keller Williams back in the day, way before KW was the behemoth that it is today, and the rest is history. Maybe we'll touch on some of that, but uh, excited to jump into things. You ready to uh, get started? Uh, I'm ready to go, Stephen. It's funny, I think last week, no, two weeks ago, I had my 19th anniversary at KW, and I was chatting with my wife. If When I joined, there were 27 employees, and there were 6,700 agents, and today there's 165,000. It's been crazy. Oh, my gosh. That is such a growth. It's insane what they've done, and so... You've been a part of that journey for so long. So I, I'm sure you have some incredible experience to share with us. 
But why don't we start off by taking a look back? So what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Oh, gosh, so many of them. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind, uh, I can remember I was running track probably in fifth or sixth grade. I was running um, the mile and I was in the last lap. And I wasn't a particularly gifted athlete, don't get me wrong, but this is just a memory. Um, and coming out of the second turn, I got tangled up with some people and went down like hard, like bloody under the chin, hard, um, skinned up elbows and knees. And by the time I actually just got my breath and looked up, everybody was rounding the third turn. So I had that whole straightaway just to even catch up. Oh. And I started jogging and like, when I get halfway around, they're crossing the finish line. And I just walked straight across to the end because I was like, I, mean, I was covered in blood. I was like feeling bad. And I remember my dad asked me afterwards, he goes, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm just skinned up and embarrassed. And he goes, I want you to remember this. And of course I do. He goes, if you had even walked across the finish line, you would have gotten a standing ovation. And I just remember, I was like, oh, I'm like, to me, it never occurred to me that I would finish the race. Wow. Um, but that's like, it's hard to even, I get a little emotional even thinking about that little moment. But it's like, perseverance is definitely a quality I admire in others and I try to live. I don't like to quit. So um, that was like a formative moment. That was the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question. That's incredible. So you're, you're in this race, you had fallen over, and more so than the failure of that moment, was the realization that if you would have just continued pushing, if you would have just walked it out. If I just finished. That you would have, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's also like, of course, my dad was also disappointed in me for not doing that on my own. Yes. So there's a lot of wrapped up in that. But it's like, I just remember remembering that. And I've always been somebody, I don't think I'm the fastest. I don't think I'm the smartest. Um, I'm certainly not the most talented person, even on this team and any most teams I'm on. I liked being the least talented. I'm always learning that way. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to keep going when other people quit. So I do think that's definitely been, um, for book writing, grit, stick to itiveness. Those are really great qualities because it takes years to write a great book. And so I think that's something that served me very well as an adult. Yeah, perseverance is so key to anybody's success because we're all going to hit challenges. We're all going to run into really stuff in the way that's going to block our path. And whether we decide to turn around or move the boulder or climb over or figure out a path forward, um, I think that's definitely a good reminder for our listeners that you've got to find a way. And so you've got to know what you're committed to. So tell me a little bit, what first drew you in to being an author? I know this is something that's been, you know, just doing some research. It's been important to you for a really long time. So it's, you know, amazing that you end up falling into the role that you're in. Um, yeah, it, I kind of lucked into it for sure. Um, I got the right partner. I will say this, when you just were saying, um, everybody listening to this, you got investors. Investors understand grit too. Um, I think most wealth is made over time, not overnight. And if you're willing to play the long game with your money and do the right things, that's where a lot of big wealth is. So I know we'll probably get into that later, but um, I just thought I would add that. I didn't even think about that angle at all. I was thinking about books, not investing. Um, I don't know. I started writing stories in high school, sharing with my friends. I got some recognition from my English teachers. I was never a good speller. Still am not. I look everything up. Drives me crazy. I'm not a, even a good typist. Uh, those things actually don't matter. What I am good is kind of thinking big and putting really big problems, kind of simplifying them. Um, I love to solve puzzles. I've always loved crossword puzzles. And I worked in publishing for a number of years at HarperCollins. I was gifted to work for a series of really cool editors, two guys named Robert that were awesome. 
um, taught me a lot. Um, they unfortunately both got laid off. And each of those moments in time where they got laid off mm-hmm. and I suddenly had to step into a different job flow was also a gift. It accelerated mm-hmm. my development as an editor. And then I worked for a really cool guy named David Hershey. Um, super funny guy. They got, came over from Esquire. They paired me up with him because I was working on how to you know, make books. And we did some really big books together. Um, and he taught me a lot, even though I, you know, at that time I didn't appreciate it all for sure. And then when my wife and I moved to Austin, I took a job as a newsletter writer at Keller Williams. I had no idea I'd be writing books here. I thought that was something that I might do in my spare time. And within a couple of years, found out that Gary wanted to write books. Bumped into him in the bathroom, said, hey, Gary, I hear you're thinking about writing a book. Um, do you remember I used to work at HarperCollins? And that started a conversation that led to a partnership. And like we're 10 books into it now, 11 if you count a little self-published job we did, and uh, about 4 million books sold. So it's been an amazing uh, journey to kind of take on with him and write real estate and business books. It's incredible, just as a reminder, that you can't really put the pieces of the puzzle together no. looking forward. You can only put them together looking back. And so it all makes sense now. You had that role. But a big thing that I that I want to underline for folks is you just said two mm-hmm. years into the role, you ended up having an opportunity that surfaced that was completely unexpected, unplanned, and you jumped on it because you knew what you cared about. You knew what you wanted to do. And but you were patient. And so I think that parallel of patience is so important in investing. Have you always been a patient person? I don't think anybody describes me as a patient person. <laughs> but I know when it's important to be patient. And uh, something Gary says, you know, it's never about timing, right? It's not about showing up on that corner at the right moment just when that opportunity shows up. You're on the corner every morning. Most of my friends that are serious real estate investors they're always out hounding, right? They're always looking for that deal because they only have to look a lot to find a really good one. And so patient money, um, patient investments of our time, um, that's where the big payoffs are. You know, that's the moonshots. That's where you make a huge amount of money or get huge returns on your time, um, I think, is when you're really patient with it. So, But honestly, oh, my poor daughter, because she is the patient one in our family. Everyone in my family is mm-hmm. impatient. We're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, but I like to do things well and I like to do things fast and they don't always go hand in hand. Um, but I know when to slow down, I slow down and investing and I slow down for writing and my daughter. <laughs> What's the trigger that tells you, Hey, Jay, it's time for you to slow down here or Hey, it's time for you to be patient because I'm a driver. I'm, you know, big D I want to keep pushing and I know patience is important and I can try to remind myself, but what is it that triggers you to do that, um, I hate to lose in your life. I think I hate to lose more than I enjoy winning. Like when I win a fantasy football championship, mm-hmm. like the first thing I think is, whew, I didn't lose. It's not like, yeah, I won. That's just part of my DNA. So I do think that mm-hmm. I will look at investments and I will analyze and analyze and analyze and analyze. And when I really feel like I've asked the questions, what's the downside of this? And really answered that and also answered, can I live with the downside? Everybody can always live with the upside. When I've answered those two questions, and that's really where you have to stop and really look at the investment, whether it be time or money. When I have those answers, then I'm moving really fast. So go really slow until you're very clear of, the, of which way you're going. And it's not about analysis paralysis, right? I, I'm very clear. There's only a few questions you have to answer. You're looking at this person or this investment or whatever it is, right? It, whether it's someone you're going to hire, which is a great investment, right? 
um, huge returns on those when you get it right, or it's a property or it's a business, I want to look at that from all sides, make sure I can live with the downside, I can survive the downside, and then based on that, I move really fast. When I have my criteria, I can make really good decisions quickly. Yeah, so talk to me more about the criteria because as an investor, that is so critical and so often new investors don't follow this, right? We see it, it's a common common thing. I've been interviewing a lot of newer investors and when I interview, I interview newer investors, depending on when I talk to them, they're talking about 12 different things that they're going to do in 12 different niches of real estate and they really don't know that much about any of them. Um, but how do you recommend people go to figure out what that criteria should be when they're going to go forward and make important decisions about you know what they should focus on? We, we write about this a good bit in Hold, a, a book I partnered on with some friends. And we also cover it a little bit in um, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. But there's a few lenses you look at. Um, when you're starting out, like you're a new investor, what are the assets that you're actually bringing to the game? Some people actually show up with money and time. But most people don't have both. If you have lots of time, there's a strategy. If you have lots of money, there's a strategy. And are you looking for cash flow or are you looking to grow your net worth? Because you can't, I love it when they all line up together, honestly, but you don't count on that. So um, when my wife and I started our journey, we asked those questions. We had some money um, because we had two incomes and no kids. And we were willing to live on about 60% of our income. We just lived very small. We made that a game. And we tried to save a certain amount of money every month. So every year we'd have one down payment. That was the goal. Can we save up one down payment so that we can buy one property a year? And that was at a time where credit was looser. We could have bought stuff with nothing down. Um, but we chose to be a little bit more conservative. So we were really clear that we also were investing for net worth and that we weren't investing for cash flow first. We insisted on cash flow. But in Austin, in our market that we had access to, we have really high property taxes. I don't know what it's like where you are in Denver, um, but it makes it very hard to have significant cash flow if you're not buying multifamily. And so we looked at that and I was like, okay, we're both professionals. We don't have tons of time. We have some income and we have some time, right? So we were right in that kind of uncomfortable middle ground so we wanted to buy single-family homes, and that's not going to be the highest cash flow, but Austin has done wonderful for, for appreciation. And we thought, okay, at least we can get some cash flow, and we know that these have a chance to appreciate. And so that was our strategy. You know, Once we figured that out, we looked at lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of properties. I usually tell people, if you have kind of a target area, go do the math on about 15 or 20 properties and look at everything that comes on the market and ask the question, is this a buy? Is this a buy? Is this a buy? And we usually try to get a little under market and make sure that it cash flows at least 100 bucks a month. That was our original criteria. Because we knew if we could, with all cash in, still cash flow, someone else is paying off the mortgage because that was the game we were playing and we would have some positive cash flow to cover repairs. Um, other people would be like $250 a month and this, right? But that's, that's kind of hard to get in Austin. Um, at least it was when we were first investing. And so we figured out our criteria. We looked at a lot of properties. And I'll tell you, like three or four months into it, and probably every week we're analyzing two or three properties. We're calling, trying to figure out what the rents were. You start to get a sense for that. And all of a sudden, one shows up and you're like, whoa, that's underpriced. Something's wrong here. Because now you understand that market for a specific kind of property in a specific part of town. And the one that shows up underpriced shows up immediately 
And we were all over that sucker. But you were clear on your criteria so that when that opportunity yeah. came up, and that that could be anything in life. It could be a business partner, could be employee, could be a property, could be you know a potential life partner, wife or husband. And when you're clear on what you're looking for, it's a lot easier to find it because you've been looking and you kind of know exactly what's going on in the market. We did the same thing for people, by the way. When we're, we have a job description, one of our last jobs is we write a missing persons report. That's just like our little internal language, mm -hmm. right? And it might be, I'm looking for, you know, maybe someone who has been out of college for, you know, X number of years, they're a working professional, they really like these things. Like, you're painting a picture, so that when they walk in the room, you know them. Now, they might be a male instead of a female or a female instead of a male. They might be older instead of younger, but you're trying to get that missing persons report because that's actually what you put out there, just like a real property, right? You put out your criteria to your network and your network might be the first people to tell you, hey, I've got that person you're looking for or I've seen a property that might be what you're looking for. Such a strong idea and so important with people because people are, especially if you're building a business and not just investing, uh, right. people is what really drives you know, success. So I know, I, I'm curious, and I know this is a topic you talk about and have been living fully because the one thing has been, you know, such a huge book selling millions and millions of copies. It's one of, personally, one of my favorite books, one of the ones probably out of 10 books that I read on a yearly hmm. basis and that I recommend to many people and even have given to parents who are kind of maybe not really into this kind of stuff. Tell us, because one of the biggest issues that I see a lot of new investors, but even experienced ones have, is they're focused on way too many things. They're right. not clear on what it is that they're trying to do. And so uh, the title says it all, the one thing, but I, the book is so much more. But how should people go about figuring out what is it that they should be focused on so that they really can you know, have the kind of growth and success they're looking for? Great question, a big question, and I can answer that from like two angles. Um, there's the the nitty gritty, kind of like the day to day, like how we're more, most productive mm -hmm. and, and and ignore all the distractions. And then, a lot of times when I teach investing, I start it from the other end. And if you you've read the book several times, so you know we talk about purpose. Um, mm -hmm. What are you investing for? And we used mm -hmm. to call it your big why. You know, what's your big mm -hmm. why? And my wife and I were very clear that we wanted um, financial freedom. And for us, that was measured by if we could um, have our home and cars paid for, right? So we didn't have those. And we had about 75000 in annual cash flow. We would have considered ourselves financially free because we actually mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of middle class slash working class taste kind of people. Like we like to travel, but like I'm driving mm -hmm. uh, a 10-year-old um paid for Toyota Highlander. Like I just like, I'm not into fancy stuff. I like pragmatic stuff. I mean, I would, would I like a better car? Yes. But I look at a new mm -hmm. car and I'll only pay cash for it. And I'm like, that's a down payment on a rental property, right? I'm just, I can't get past mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So um, that, was, that was the real clear vision is that we never want to be chained to a job and having to do things that we hated or found distasteful or against our values, but to earn a paycheck. And so... I'll tell you, investing, if you started from that side, what, what really are you investing for? And mm -hmm. I usually ask people um, the positive question, now paint a picture, um, how will I know you're successful? And that tells you the measure. And like for us, if we could come up with 75000 in annual income, right, that we didn't work, we felt like, hey, we could make that work. It's not like I'm not going to work, but I could go bartend and write bad novels or something, right? Right. Um, but yeah. then we have enough cash to make our life work. 
So what's the measurement mm-hmm. that you will know that you're successful by? And then um, I usually ask people, and what happens if you fail? And that's usually a test question. Mm. If there's not um, an emotional response, you know, what's the consequence mm. of failure? Um, then you're probably being very aspirational and you're not actually true to your the big why, the real reason you're going for. Because a lot of people say, I want a yacht. I want to go to work every day in a helicopter. And what happens if you fail? Well, I'll drive my Tesla. Well, that's not very motivating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for us, the price yeah. of failure is that we might be trapped in a job and setting a horrible example for our kids about working for a living and what it meant to love your work. And all. I mean, I can go down that path and get really dark because that's an outcome we really, yeah. really wanted to avoid. So first and foremost, um, the one thing, all of our research, four and a half years, the most successful people, the most successful businesses are fairly clear about their direction, right? They are purpose-driven uh-huh. people. They're purpose-driven organizations. And that purpose gives them extra grit. They don't stop when other people stop. They get out of bed on the rainy days and go to work when other people sleep in because it's about more than a job. It's about more than making money. There's something else driving them. Um, so let's maybe start there. And if you want to unpack that a little bit, we can go down the purpose route or we can also go down down the practical side of things. Yeah, well, so I think for all the folks that are listening, right, we hear this all the time. Find your why, get connected to your purpose. But one thing that Jay just mentioned that I thought was incredible was that if 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 your purpose, your why doesn't make you think about crying or being angry or upset, when you think about not having it, when you visualize it, when you feel it inside your body, you're doing it wrong, which means you need to dive deeper into what that really could be. And I think more times than not, people are really not connected to that purpose especially when they're having challenges or they're not focused, it's because it's not strong enough. They don't have a strong enough why below the surface. So I think it's clear on how to go and do that. We just have to ask ourselves that question over and over again. Is there anything else that you think people should do to get that clarity, Jay? Um, I think it's just spending a little time asking the question and exploring it. It took me a while to kind of figure ours out. But if you're in a relationship, you can talk it through. Like, why are we going to do this journey together? Because to do the journey together with someone... Um, hey, you know, we're not going to the movies tonight. Let's watch something on Netflix for free because in the beginning, right, you might be living in a lot smaller house than you could afford and a lot crappier car than you could afford because you're investing for your future, right? And those trade-offs today for something that's 5, 10, 15 years in the future, there's a today pain, but if your mm. big why, the pain of failure there isn't bigger than that, that everyday irritation, you won't do it. And it short circuits most people. They get all, I mean, the best advice I got, we were working on Flip, that book. And I remember the guy came up and he had, mm-hmm. um, they'd worked on Rick and Clay Villani, like a thousand flips at that point. I mean, incredible experience in that arena. And wow, yeah, because there were people writing bestsellers that had flipped 12 homes. And we were like, really? That's, that's how much uh-huh. experience it takes to write a book now? Yeah. Um, and he said, Jay, if you're going to market this book, you know, to as many people, you understand for every, 100 people that go into the funnel, only one will come out. A lot of people like the idea of building wealth, but when they see what the reality is, most of them will bail. And I do think that's because most of those people aren't getting really clear about the trade-offs. And because they aren't clear, instead of saving up for a down payment for an investment property or whatever it is, they buy a new TV or they buy a new truck and they go into debt. And and I don't mean to sound frivolous about that. Some people have real issues with their money and how they spend it. I get it. But 
it's a trade-off and you have to know why you're making it, especially if you have a partner on board. But recognizing that you're making that trade-off makes it so that it's conscious. You've decided that you're going to move in a certain direction, so you're okay with that sacrifice. And if you want to change directions, you can consciously make that choice. So as much as I would love, I think I could spend two hours talking about purpose. I think it's one of the most important things. Um, But to not belabor the point, because I really think people should, they should go buy the book. I know there's plenty of free resources and we can push them in that direction as well. But the one thing is an incredible book. You got to read it. But let's talk about some of the tactical things that people can do so that they can start seeing more consistency in their income and consistency in their outcomes in their life. And that's where you, I'm sure you were going. I, there's no why, just because of the, the the purpose and the why and money, that's where I went there. Um, if you're thinking it. about this through the lens of investing, so like the fundamentals of the book is you ask the question, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier and necessary? So it's a mouthful. You can Google it, right? The focusing question, you'll find it. But it's really about figuring out on my wealth building journey to become a better investor, you ask that question. And you want the answer to be an activity. And I'll tell you, there's two things that stop most people from investing. One, they can't save up enough money to actually buy a house. So they look all the time, they do all the analytics, but they never actually get their credit and cash in a place so they can actually make a purchase. So Mm. if you haven't figured out how to live on less than you earn, and you haven't figured out how to set aside investment savings so that you can actually make a down payment, that's your first job. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, in the beginning for us, we lived in our first home, we moved out of it to make that a rental. That's a great strategy too. That means you have to save less. You're going to live in it for a little while. I think a minimum of you're planning to be there for two years, life can make it happen shorter. And then you get to move and you get owner financing on your next property If I could go back in time, I would have lived in five duplexes before we had kids, right? Just every two years, move. (laughs) And we'd have all those streams of income behind us. So that's one strategy to minimize the savings, right? And and get you in there. And then you Mm -hmm. fix up that place for your next renters instead of you. Um, If you can save money, you got that thing covered, then you have to really start going out and looking at properties. And I would just time block it. You know, make a goal. Every day, I will analyze one property. Super simple. It takes about 30 minutes um, in the beginning, um, and then you can get much faster as you go. And Just download a Performa. Do you have them on your website, just like a spreadsheet? Um, and start playing with different properties that show up in your property feed. You look at it and think, wow, I wonder if this is good investment. Well, wondering's not good enough. Go do the math. And if you do the math enough times, one, you start to understand what homes in that place rent for, what features actually matter, and then you'll probably do it long enough that you'll start seeing what things actually sold for versus what you thought they'd sell for. And you start to get a real sense of how good you are. And that process, do that for a couple of months. That's usually about as long as it takes, right? Just kind of regularly doing the numbers, doing the numbers, doing the numbers. You will now be able to recognize value when it shows up. And there won't be a lot of doubt either because you've actually done this activity enough yeah. that wow, this one really stands out. What's wrong? I mean, I usually ask, what's wrong here? Now I'm afraid. Okay, there must be something really wrong. They're not telling us because otherwise, how could this possibly be available at this price? But now you'll start to see that and it'll stand out for what it is. Yeah, that patience plus repetition on a consistent basis ends up giving you confidence so that you can actually take action and go and do these things. But you breezed over something which I think is one of one of the strongest concepts in the book outside of the main premise. It's this whole idea of time blocking, right? Of, okay. of under- I thought that's where you were going to go. Yeah, I just said time block it. I didn't say what that meant. Yeah, so why don't you outline for our listeners here 
what what does that mean and how can people really apply that because everyone hears about it oh i should just slap some time on my calendar but but when i'm going to actually go into the act of deciding what i'm going to do how does that play into practice so um there were a few things that my wife and I time blocked in the beginning of our journey, right? I didn't hadn't written the one thing then, so we were doing more than one. So that's probably <laughs> not the total best advice, but um, every week we looked at properties. So we were always looking, right? Trying to figure out what would we buy if we could afford it. Mm-hmm. Every month we did our net worth. And so we had um, basically a monthly financial meeting where we looked at our budget. We made sure we saved. Our, our target was $1,500 a month back then. And we would calculate our net worth. And back then, we had to call our mortgage and go through the phone tree. Like you couldn't do it online like you could do it today. It was very labor intensive. Um, but we just did a few, a handful of things. Time blocking um, in our vernacular means it's just making an appointment with yourself to do your most important work. And so we all know how to make an appointment. Like you and I had an appointment for this interview, mm-hmm. right? And it was on my calendar, and there were instructions in it. Click on this link. Do this thing, right? Or for a video call or go to this place at this time and we're going to meet for coffee. Except you're going to do it for yourself. Mm. And so the key ingredients are it's a regular thing that you're going to do. And if you do it every day at the same time, it's even easier, right? So every morning at seven o'clock, I will look at my MLS feed and I will pick one property to analyze. It's very clear. And what's beautiful about that sort of thinking, I know now when I'm going to do it, and hopefully I've planned, like, there's nothing normally going to interfere with me at 7 a.m., right? So I've picked a time that I have control of my time. I'm going to do it in a certain place, say your home office. And I've got an outcome that I know that I finished it. And it's very simple. I'm going to look at one property. I'm going to analyze one property. And that simple activity done daily, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember who said it, um, but exceptional is actually just doing the ordinary thing day after day. That's mm-hmm. how exceptional is actually created. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. So it's a very ordinary thing. I'm just going to analyze one property. It takes about 30 minutes. It gets a lot faster, folks. And then you do that and you do that and you do that. And time blocking is just the process of putting it on your calendar as a regular event. And the earlier in the day, the better. And research that we found in the British Journal of Health Psychology in 2009, I'm just going to shortcut it so we can get to the thing. For people who are highly motivated, if they said, I'm going to exercise three times a week, they were about 35 to 38% likely to do it. If you were motivated and also wrote down your intention that I'm going to do it at this time, at this place, on this day, which is basically a calendar invite, you were 91% likely to do it. So the simple act of putting it on your calendar, right, thinking it through, when am I going to do this, makes you three times more likely to do it. So there is science behind this. Wouldn't now be a good time, guys, to set a calendar invite for yourself so that you can be three times more likely to do anything that you wanted to do? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not complicated. It's actually simple. It's just about applying it on a regular basis, Anjay. It is. And I mean, you, you shared with me that you've been living this book. Is What was the first thing that you time blocked when you kind of said, I'm going to try to do this thing? Can I ask? I didn't ask you permission for that. So you can cut this if you want. Yeah, no, I, well, I think probably one of the first things was I was in study mode because I was like, I'm going to do this real estate thing. And I had read the one thing and it wasn't related to real estate. I'm just personal development junkie. And I remember it was right around that same time. And so after reading the one thing, I realized my one thing was I had to learn everything that I could about Mm -hmm. this industry. 
So I was time blocking reading books. And that year I had read um, over a book and a half a week. Oh, right? that's and amazing. So it, it's insane. Sure, I didn't soak, I probably didn't go all the way down to the depths of when I'm reading books over and over again, which is a, a thing that I now do. But I was pulling away the information that was most valuable by touching as many subjects as I could. And so at that time, learning everything I could was my one thing. I love you know, that. That's um, a great goal. I did that when we were first learning. To, I mean, I was preparing to write a book about it, but I probably read 100 mm-hmm. books on investing. And I skimmed a lot of them because when you've read a bunch, right, you start to see a pattern. It's like, okay, I've read this before. You're looking for something new and it gets faster and faster. And I'll be curious. I mean, you're still doing this. I mean, you've built a podcast out of it. These days, I try to make sure that I read three to five financial books every year. And mm. I don't read, that's not all I read, right? But I know that it's like, I've got to keep the, the, the edge sharp. And so every year I'll pick out like, okay, maybe I need to study up a little bit about um, how to prepare for retirement or you know, different classes of investing. I've been reading up a little bit about an angel investing because our investment mm. portfolio has gotten to where it's like, hey, we might be able to do this thing now. But we mm-hmm. continue to do that. I don't do it at the same aggressive rate. But the beautiful thing is you make that initial investment. I still read a book a week. I just now get to read in different ventures and I'm feeding my mind in different mm-hmm. things. And it takes a lot less to maintain your financial knowledge than it took to build it. You filled that bucket all the way up. And so now you just have to put a little bit yep. in over and over again. And it's not like starting over from scratch, but if you stop reading that stuff for a really long time, the bucket's still going to have water in it, but it's not. It's going to take a lot more to refill it. So I think that's a really big idea. So I'm curious, right? You've you're kicking butt. You've done some amazing things. A lot of people look up to you. You've changed people's lives by the books that you've written. Mm. But talk to me a little bit about how you would define success and what is success to you. Um, Ultimately, that comes back to my purpose. For me, success is being the best husband um, and father I can be. Um, super cheesy, but that's what gets me up every day. Um, that's why I write. That's why I, when I tell people to do things like exercise regularly and stuff, I think, wow, if I don't do this, I'm a complete fraud to my kids. And it's that part that actually makes me go exercise. Mm. Not that I want to get six-pack abs, wow. which I don't. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to be healthy and I also want to be a great role model for my kids. That's very motivating for me. Um, my wife's my best friend. I don't want to take her respect for granted and to disappoint her sucks. I mean, it sucks to be me when I disappoint my wife, not because she's mean or anything. I just don't like it. I hate that feeling. So I figured out what gets me out of bed in the morning. Everybody else should too, but success is easy. It's just figuring out what you want. That's hard. Getting what you want is success. Mm. And for me, I just figured out, hey, if I'm successful in those two arenas, everything else follows. That's that's so huge. So on a similar note, I'm, I'm curious, you've been married to your wife for a long time. She's been a partner, somebody that you've worked mm-hmm. with. You obviously, you just mentioned she's your best friend. What are some takeaways after being married for this long, after building a life with somebody for this long that you'd want to pass on to an earlier version of yourself that you'd say, hey, I now know this. I didn't know this back then. And I wish I had because it would help me act. Sure. Um, 20 years this year. This is our 20th anniversary in July of this year. We're actually going to celebrate it this Friday. We're taking a big trip together with the kids. Um, the thing, I think the number one thing we've done um, as a couple um, that we've now done for, I want to say, 13 or 14 years of the 20 um, is we do a goal-setting retreat. And it actually started in our investing journey. It was a big part of it. And 
I remember my wife just downloaded a bunch of questions from the web once and said, hey, I want to get out because we had two small kids. Let's get out of here. Let's get a babysitter and let's go get back in touch with each other. And the next year, we had those same questions. The first year, I thought I was in trouble. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe my marriage is in trouble and I'm too <laughs> stupid to know it. But she was just wanting to double down. Let's, let's go be away from our life. We just did a, a cheap hotel on Priceline downtown. And we got on the same page about what we wanted to have happen in our family. And it's with small kids and two working parents, it can be really hard. And every year we've added to that. Mm -hmm. And now we set um, mm -hmm. really specific someday five-year and one-year financial goals, goals for our health, for our kids. Um, we've made it into kind of a process. And this will be the third year we actually facilitate a goal-setting retreat uh, for other couples. And mm -hmm. so we have actually now gone beyond wanting to give that advice to ourselves. We give that advice. So um, I would just say, like, if you go to the one thing.com, I think there's a free resource called a kick-ass guide to a goal-setting retreat that has our questions that people can download and find out, like, how to go and get on the same page with your spouse. And that was huge for us, you know, knowing, agreeing and figuring out why we were saving money and what our goals were that each year um, helped us stay on the same page and kept us from fighting about stuff that we... Most of the time you're fighting about stuff, it's just because we're not clear on why the other person is going that direction. And if we understood that, we would support them better than yank on their sleeves and say, stop. What a great strategy, because once you're in alignment with somebody, especially somebody that is your partner in crime, it makes everything else that you do together that much more closer. So people can be doing this with yeah. their business partners, with their life partners, with their friends, with their family get in alignment so that you guys all know, hey, well, this is what we value and this is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and people can be supportive of it. We used to call it a goal, a couple's goal-setting retreat, um, but people who were single, people who were partners showed up. And here's the truth. Most people are just not carving out real time to invest a lot of thought in where they really want to be going and where they need to be going. And because of that, we're always chasing kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? It's not that we have a career map in our head Someone will tell us about a job and say, hey, I think I'll go do that job or I think I'll go do this. We're always looking at the next best thing versus working mm -hmm. backwards from a tangible something that matters to us and asking based on where I want to be someday, where would I be in five years to be on pace for that? And where would I be next year? And that kind of working backwards from a big goal is magic. Um, magic, magic, magic. Absolutely magic. People, we got we to gotta be doing this stuff in our own lives on a regular basis. If you're not setting clear goals, attached to your purpose, how is now a good time? You know, yep. maybe let's get it going. So on a habits perspective, talk to me about some of the keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that end up leading to a great life. Um, my wife and I, for probably seven, eight years, we've been working out together in the morning. Um, so that's one mm -hmm. of the things we try to do is we work out a minimum of three times a week, um, usually with a trainer now, uh, which is great. Um, it's really nice knowing someone's going to knock on the door so we can't just roll over and say we're not going to the gym. Mm -hmm. um, but that helps, you know, that baseline for us is a keystone habit because when we're working out, we go to bed. And when we go to bed and we're working out, we tend to eat better. Like it's just one of those things that that one habit unlocked a lot of doors for us. Um, mm. Like I said, I, I try to read a book a week. Um, for someone who's a writer, it's really important. Um I know that I had a, a mentor, a guy who wrote uh, FedEx Delivered, uh, Delivers, rather. Mm. I had coffee with him, and he says, uh, creativity is just connecting the dots. And if you're going to be a creative as a professional, you've always got to be adding dots. 
If you have more dots than the average person, you can be more creative. But that's really the input of dots, right? Mm. Feeding your mind is really the first step to being a creative. And I internalized that. That was a really important message. So that's a big one for me. I think I shared earlier, we do our net worth. We used to do it um, once a month. I actually track mine once a week now. Um, our world has gotten big enough that um, I can actually measure the delta right between week to week, uh, whereas it used to be barely even visible month to month. But over 10 plus years of doing the right things, things add up. Um, and one of the cooler things that we do is we have date night. We had two kids um, 16 months apart, and we wanted to make it a habit, and habit's all about repetition. Um, we call it 66 days, right? A 66-day challenge in the book, right? 66 days to form a habit. Um, if you're doing something once a week, I don't know if that's 66 weeks or not, but we really struggled with young kids to go out and have a regular date night on a Friday and a Saturday night because I don't know if you've got small mm -hmm. kids or not, Stephen, or if that's in your future, but it's really hard to get a babysitter. Everybody else wants a babysitter yeah. on a Friday and a Saturday night. And so on a whim, we moved it to the middle of the week just to split up our week. Well, mm. now there was always a babysitter. Uh, we never had to worry about reservations in any restaurant because restaurants don't sell out on a Wednesday night. Um, and mm. movies are also never sold out either because new movies come out on Thursday night. So every time we saw a new movie, mm. it was already six days old. And it just really ended up working. So I bet we averaged 45 or 50 dates a year now even with travel and other things. Wow. And uh, that's been huge for us. So figure out something that matters to you. Try to make it a habit. And that's all about controlling that time. Like we couldn't make Saturdays and Sundays work. So everybody in our world knows Wednesday night's date night. Like on a Wednesday afternoon, like where are y'all going tonight? Mm -hmm. It's a really weird thing, but it works. So <laughs> I, a lot of people in our life, it's funny. Even people who no longer work with us, I'll look on Instagram. It's like, man, so many people we know go out on Wednesday nights now. That's actually not a bad legacy. You started a trend. You're moving the needle in the right direction for your own relationship and inspiring others to do so as well. I love that. So we've made it to my favorite part of the show, the growth rapid fire round, where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell me, what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're really excited about right now? Okay, I'll give you one of each. I actually just ordered another batch of The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I usually always have three or four copies in my office and I give them away. Um, it's ostensibly for writers, but it, I'd find that most entrepreneurs and business people love it too. It's all about how to do that thing every day, you know. Um, most success, big success, is actually kind of boring on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's really easy to not do those things. It's actually, it's not so hard to do them, but it's easier to not do them, right? And so just sticking to that grind, if you even want to call it, is hard. And that, that's been a very helpful book for a lot of people. And uh, one of my colleagues' husbands, uh, Corey Allen, just wrote a book called uh, Now is the Way um, about being present. Mm. And I went to go see him read last week, and I just cracked the book. I'm about a third of the way in. Fabulously written. And it's, hey, in this day and age, um, how to be still, how to be present is something that a lot of us are lacking. And so I've, I've found it to be a little bit um, incriminating, right? I'm realizing the times when I'm not present when I should be. That's also a little inspiring. So that's what I'm excited about now. And Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art is one that, I mean, that's just one of my all-time favorites. Well, I appreciate those recommendations. I've heard of The War of Art a number of times, but I haven't cracked it open yet. So I'm going to have oh, to make that change. there you change. go. You're going to think, why? It's, like, it's talking about the three Greek muses. And you're like, what does this have to do with money? Trust me. 
you'll have some takeaways. You'll start talking about the resistance and everybody will know. You'll say the word resistance and they'll go, you're part of the tribe. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. So from an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors and how do you look at finding mentors in your life? Well, obviously I've got my partner, Gary Keller. Um, he's been huge. Um, it's been fun to watch him um, almost 20 years now. When you look at just the origins, we're in my 20th year together. I mean, he's a self-made billionaire. So that's huge. Um, the guy thinks really big and he wants the people around him too as well. So he's been huge for us. I mean, I don't get to go to him just for stuff about books and life, but he gives parenting advice and other stuff. I mean, it's great. I mean, he's just a really generous soul um, with a good heart and very thoughtful human being. Um, I look up to my folks a lot, my mom and dad. Um, I take different lessons from both mm -hmm. of them and my wife. And so... I'm 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 pretty uh, I'm pretty careful about who I take lessons from. Most of the people I'm taking lessons from, um, mm. I'm I'm reading it in the form of books. Right, those are my mentors. I'm looking at my bookshelves off camera now. You can't tell, uh, but I've got a million books. Mm -hmm. They're always around mm -hmm. me. Stacks of them everywhere. So every day, for free, if you get a library card, you can tap into the greatest minds that have ever lived. So I don't think it's hard to get mentoring mm -hmm. if you're willing to get it that way. Uh, but I usually look for people who are really successful in an area. And if I can bring a little bit of value to them, they'd be willing to bring a little value to me. So I usually start on the first end. If I'm sitting with mm. someone, I have a, one of my habits is every Wednesday I meet with a stranger. Mm. Um, and that stranger just has to be someone who's been recognized as being really talented at something. And it's got nothing to do with me. I just like to meet with talented people. So they might be a web designer, they might be a musician. Like, Stephen, I hear that you have this great podcast. Tell me all about it. How did that start? And I'm just meeting a total stranger. And I usually try to just tell them about a book or an article that might help them, introduce them to someone in my network. And every now and then I'll ask for a favor back. And it works, usually works out. If you lead with bringing value to other people, um, most people, especially successful people, will return the favor. I, I, that's It's so true. Give first and you shall receive, especially if you don't expect to receive. Yeah, you're not giving just to get back. It's not a selfish act. You're just giving. People are just so excited to be able to share something just like you're doing every Wednesday. So finally, in closing, from a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? Well, I think I've said it twice now, so I don't want to, you know, I'm banging that same drum, right? Three times. Um, <laughs> when I'm really clear that what I'm doing is in alignment with being a great husband, um, and being a great father. And it's in that order. And my kids know that. I've actually got a pair of domino tattoos from our book. And I said, this one's for your mom, this one's from you. And my mom comes first. And uh, they're old enough now that in a burning building scenario, they, they're going to they're gonna find their way out. They may be helping me get out of the building. They're big enough now. Um, but mm -hmm. my wife and I knew that we would go in for the kiddos first. But on a day-to-day -day basis, we wanted to role model the what I believe is the most important relationship they can have right? It was with a future spouse mm -hmm. and by investing in that first. And I've seen people who put their kids first and the moment they're an entry nester, like they're a year away from divorce. And I really did not want that. So we wanted to make mm -hmm. sure that we were always investing in our relationship and through that investing in our kids. So to me, that's, I'm crystal clear now that when that, those things are lining up, my life is really good. I love it. And repetition is the mother of skill, so no reason to not <laughs> hear it three times, just as a reminder that Jay doesn't mess around. He knows what his one thing is and, and, and the purpose behind it. So thank you so much for sharing and thank you for writing these books and impacting so many people's lives and 
impacting thousands on the podcast here today. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Um, well, my name is so Googleable. I think I'm the only Jay Papazan in the United States. So that's pretty easy. I'm easy to find. It's hard for me to hide. Um, I am the real person behind my social media accounts. I'm not on them all the time. Uh, but if you want to reach out, you can. And a great way to just find out everything that we're doing is at the one thing.com with the number one. Um, there's actually even links to my social media accounts there if you want to be lazy. Uh, but all kinds of free resources and um, our speaking events and the goal setting retreat, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you so much for being on. Guys, go pick up a copy of The One Thing. I'm sure you've probably already read a number of Jay's books because they are some of the foundational books for real estate investing and being a real estate agent. So thank you so much. It was so much fun. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. What an incredible episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I want to tell you about this incredible program that we're now releasing. We're putting it out live and I want you to be a part of it. If you happen to be a high level real estate investor who's really pushing things to the next level, who want to get the most out of their business, they want to take consistent action on a regular basis and work from a place place of clarity so you actually can end up at the outcome that you originally got into this game for. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know when I got into real estate investing, I had planned on doing this so that I get passive cash flow. And I got distracted along the way. And I got distracted with things that were incredible and amazing. And I grew like crazy. But sometimes we got to get back to that core. What are we doing this for and why are we doing this? What I've put together and I've brought together an incredible mindset coach who has been doing this for years and years, has 25,000 hours, previously worked with the Tony Robbins organization and many others, and is going to be delivering and training us He's agreed to do this in a small group setting. So I know a ton of people are going to be interested and there's very limited spots available. This is not false scarcity. We're only going to take 15 people for the first group. So please make sure you head over to the website, theinvestormindset.com slash action. So you can find out a little bit more and add your name to the wait list so that when we're ready to pull you in, we can start having that conversation and decide if you're a great fit. I know the power of this stuff. I've invested tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars in order to grow myself and my business to the next level. And that's exactly why I'm so grateful that we're gonna be bringing this out live and really making a big difference. So join us in this mini mastermind online, this program, and let's help do some incredible things together. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 